0: And I also hear that you have the longest-running entrepreneurship podcast since 2005. Is that correct?
1: Uh, it's not not officially audited by anyone official. <laughs> <But> <laughs> I, I certainly feel I know when I started it, there were not any other entrepreneurship podcasts. Because let's face it, there was no the iPod just came out. Yeah. Um, iTunes just came out. The the word podcast had only just been coined. We stand today. This is method the business with the shadow. The business method. The business method
0: podcast. The business method podcast featuring Chris Reynolds, entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics for location independence. On our second series, we are interviewing 100 entrepreneurs that have built location-independent businesses that generate a million dollars or more in annual revenue. There's a growing movement of people building these caliber of businesses, and we are getting behind the minds, the logic, and the science of what it takes to build businesses like this. On top of that, we also gather entrepreneurs at events and retreats around the world. This October, we are having our annual event in Thailand, Get Shit Done Live. It's 10 days of high-performance productivity, targeted collaboration, and rapid execution designed for entrepreneurs to get a lot of work Done in a little amount of time. Some say it's like 10 months of work in 10 days. There's a magic that happens when brilliant minds come together to push one another towards productive execution. That is exactly what this retreat is about. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com. That is thebusinessmethod.com now. Let's jump in today's show. The Business Method. Hey listeners, welcome back to the show. Today is the second part of Yarrow Star X interview. Today we talk about how Yarrow has been on the cusp of so many online trends. Yarrow started one of the first online forums and businesses for Magic the Gathering. He started a very successful blog in the early days of blogging. And he started the first podcast dedicated to entrepreneurialism. And now let's jump. Back into the interview. Entrepreneur's systems, methods, tools, and tactics.
1: That blog started in 2005. By the start of 2007, I'm making as much money from my blog as I'm making from my essay editing business. And by then, I've I've actually started to travel a bit too. I know I went on a trip to Canada then and spent a bit of time uh, with family and uh, that was away from Australia. I'd done that a couple of times by then. So... um, that point was I mean it was busy (laughs) in terms of running two businesses one of them was you know obviously fairly automated with better edit this new one I'm writing and I started my podcast in 2005 as well so it was very very early days for podcasting and uh, I was loving this you know being a content producer and I love the fact that I could make money from it and then I did the very smart thing which I'll be absolutely honest, was entirely because I was learning more about internet marketing. So I started studying a lot of people, maybe James Shramker might have mentioned a few of these, but this is when I discovered um, you know, Jeff Walker and product launch formula. Mm-hmm. There was Rich Sheffrin with his Internet Business Manifesto all about systems. There was the the Stompernet guys teaching SEO um, there was Mike Filseim with his butterfly marketing. There was so many. This is like the the golden era of of launches. It just mm-hmm. started happening. And the, John Reese with his Traffic Secrets sells a million dollars of a product in 24 hours, or I think it was something like that. Um, and that was huge. It was you know selling a thousand dollar course. And in that, you know, we really owe a lot to those guys because that's when the whole internet marketing information publishing world sort of got started. And um, I was excited because I realized. Hey, I'm I'm becoming a, a content creator, and I could sell a course, I could sell an ebook. So I saw my future in that, and I was loving writing. I mean, that that's the short answer. I just loved writing. I loved podcasting. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to go all in on this, and I'm going to sell everything else I had going. Now, this could turn into an incredibly long podcast, but <laughs> during those two years, I actually, or two to three years. Um, I began buying and selling a few websites on the side. It was I called it my side strategy because I was taking the profits I was making from my editing company and my blog, and I, I bought another guy's blog. For example, I, I bought SmallBusinessBranding.com for two thousand dollars, and grew it into a four hundred dollar, a five hundred dollar, I think eventually a thousand dollar a month income stream. And then I bought a couple of forums about miniature motorcycles. Uh, mm-hmm. It cost me twelve thousand Australian dollars. And I grew that into um, another $1,000 a month sort of income stream. So I had this portfolio I was building of this kind of like, I was like a property investor on the side, (laughs) that online property. Uh, And then I realized one day, and this was around sort of early 2007, I want to release my own product. I want to go all in on this. And having this portfolio and, and owning this editing company, it's kind of taking a lot of my attention, even if it was... Automated like almost all those things I bought I had someone else looking after them my editing company someone else is running it so that was great, but there was still this sense of Mental focus. I had to give to them like I always felt like oh, I should be doing more to grow my editing company Oh, I should be doing more to grow these businesses these websites. I'm buying and I didn't like that feeling I wanted to kind of have one narrow focus So that's when I said and I should also phrase this I also wanted to buy a car and a house So selling all these companies could give me a lot of capital. So it kind (laughs) of all came together with this idea, I should liquidate everything I've got, go all in on blogging and publishing and build an empire around that, grow my email list, grow my blog, sell some information products. And um, that's what I decided to do. So that led to probably the most exciting few months of my life. From kind of like February, March of 2007 till about July, August of 2007, because I, I liquidated all my assets, um, sold my editing company, sold those forums I bought, sold the second blog that I ha- bought. I also launched my first course called Blog Mastermind. Uh, I don't know why I decided to do it all at the same time, but it just the way it happened, I guess. With some things, you can't you know time the sell the sale of a business. And I I had this little window of three months where I literally was doing my first ever product launch, releasing a course, which was a job in itself, selling my editing company, which I sold for like a hundred thousand US dollars. And then I also sold, you know, one form for the 20,000 here and, you know, doing all these deals. But by the end of it all, I had uh, over $180,000 in the bank and I had a, a... basically a blog business that was bringing in six figures a year so it, it was actually had become the the largest business in my portfolio as my plan and it was just a great great time I really is the first time I did so many things you know my first ever six figure sale my first ever six figure kind of business from a product launch and uh, I loved it all
0: <laughs> those three months did you get any sleep during that time were you busy juggling all those projects
1: you know I- I about, we we kind of talked about, you know, the two two hour focus you you mentioned right at the beginning of this call. Mm -hmm. I was always big on the 80-20 rule. Like I discovered that uh, around that time when I was reading all these books sort of in my early 2000s, uh, early 20s, early 2000s. um, And I knew that there were a core few tasks that needed to get done to keep things going. And, you know, I built these things one after the other. Uh, The only thing that was a little bit more stressful than usual was the launch because that included deadlines. And normally I don't drive my life by too many hard deadlines, but when a launch happens, you know, I I said, this is when the the free report is going to be released, this is when the doors will open to the course and there'll have to be something in the course when they first buy. Not the whole course, but at least the first lesson. So I I did give myself a few tasks there that led to a fairly um, busy I I would never say I was doing what you did, getting up at 4 a.m. to get (laughs) get stuff done. Um, I do remember. There's actually my first ever YouTube video. is a picture because I used to have long hair, and I, I woke up and I did this video with bed hair. And obviously, when you have long hair, bed hair is a bit more epic. Mm-hmm. Um, just essentially saying you should never do a product launch because this is what happens to your hair, you know. And I, yeah, yeah, I, I think I I was up <laughs> a little early that day, but I think I was up because I was excited. You know, that, that was more of the the, the deal there. What, yeah. what? How is this going to go? You know, like because you, you never sell your like the first time you sell your own product is such a huge deal. You don't know whether people will, will like it, will, how many people will buy it, will anyone buy it? You know, it's your education product, and you've never been a teacher before, so there's a lot of firsts there that are incredibly exciting or potentially incredibly uh, depressing if if you get no sales. You know, so there's always that fear sitting on you as well
0: yeah that's a good point um and i also hear that you have the longest running entrepreneurship podcast since
1: 2005 is that is that correct uh it's not not officially audited by anyone official (laughs) but that's you know when you say it's we got the world's best pizza that's kind of like the stamp i I certainly feel i know when i started it there were not any other entrepreneurship podcasts because let's face it there was no the ipod just came out yeah um itunes just came out the the word podcast that only just been coined and yeah i started doing interviews much like we're doing now back then it was over (laughs) skype too and uh you know it was very early days i i kind of wish i started in 2010 because that's when you caught this wave and Mm -hmm. everyone got really huge back then. But it's done amazing things for my business and it's, you know, obviously you love it too. So it's, it's a great format. Yeah, absolutely.
0: What other podcasts were even online back then? Are there any that are still around?
1: Oh gosh, I cannot remember. I didn't even know. I, I, I didn't even then. know
0: the word podcast till 2009. I don't think.
1: <laughs> well, I, I didn't even call it. I mean, initially I called it audio blogging because I'd God. upload an MP3 and as a blog post, right? And mm-hmm. then it didn't become a podcast mm-hmm. until, uh, I mean, really iTunes and the iPod making something time shifted, so you could take it onto your device, and and you know there was no mobile broadband yet to download it directly that way, so. I think it was around 2006, 2007, when there was a bit of a wave, like um, Odeo, uh, you might remember that company. Um, They were the precursor to Twitter, (laughs) strangely enough, but the team that made Twitter their first startup as part of their startup story was this podcast directory. So they were attempting to do, I guess, what you'd call the app today for podcasts Mm -hmm. or maybe like a stitcher or or whatever. and they gave people tools to upload their podcasts, to distribute their podcasts, so on. Uh, it didn't really take off. It was co-founded with, um, I think, Evan. Uh, what was his last name? Evan, who founded Blog Blogger, you know, which eventually got by bought by Google. So he he was like, okay, well, I did for writing. Blogger did for writing what audio could do for audio. Um, but it just wasn't it was just too early. I think was the biggest thing. Then they did a complete pivot and switched to Twitter, a completely different mm-hmm. business model but it worked uh and eventually, you know probably four or five years later then then the whole podcast thing really took off to the point where today we we know how huge it is. but there were there were a lot of very early. You know underground tiny podcast with small audiences which i'd call my own as well you know like there might be the 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 the, the, the stock market podcast over here and then the, the music podcast over there because mp3s had been around for a while mm-hmm. you know music and that we just finished the whole napster debacle and you mm-hmm. know uh, itunes had taken over mm-hmm. as the way to get music so um, but it was great. I mean, I, I love the audio format because like everyone listening in right now, there's a deeper connection that was formed. So I, I a lot of people bought my stuff because they said, you know, yeah, I listened to your podcast back in 2007 or 2009 or whatever it was, and they just follow you for a long time. So it's fantastic. It's really interesting. Like they get
0: to know you in ways that I don't think, uh, the, even with a book, you know, they could really know you. And because I, I think people feel like they're in your... They get invited into your living room, right, with a podcast, with this audio form, and then they can become an instant fan for life, just because you sat here and you told your story in detail on our podcast. And next thing you know, they're they're following you for five years, ten years down the road, and that's that's an amazing thing.
1: Um, really is.
0: What I noticed in your story, Yaro, is is over the couple decades that you've been an entrepreneur. I was eighteen in nineteen ninety eight
1: too, so don't feel old. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, we're just both old now. That's all. We're still. <laughs> were you on? Were you online then? That was the real question. So.
0: Well, I mean, I was. In, it was my senior year in high school, so I had a like. I had my first email, and I think I was just like searching through Yahoo and. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what I was really doing back then with the internet. That
1: was when it was fun to get email. You got that ding noise on AOL <laughs> Online, and you're like, oh, what's this? You know?
0: There was also a lot of spam, too. Like oh, I don't yeah, remember yeah. a lot well, of
1: spam always coming spam. Yeah.
0: yeah. Anyway, um, what I noticed in your story is that, you, to me, you seem like you've always just been on the cutting edge and the cusp of things that are going to get big. And so, for example, like you're starting um, – you know, the magic business in 19, 1998, man, that's, I mean, we still had dial up telephones and, and, and then you went into, um, starting your editing business and then you went in, you created a form, uh, with the magic website and then you started a podcast in 2005. So you always, anyway, in my opinion, from what I know of you, you've seemed to be on the cutting edge and the cusp of these things that, that get big down the road. And I'm curious What do you think about yourself gives you that foresight to take advantage of those opportunities?
1: Hmm. I, you know, I've never thought of myself as one of these early adopters who's constantly, you know, playing with the latest technology to, to be ahead of the curve. Uh, I know I was certainly, I I think the simple answer is the internet happened At the like I said at the start of my interview at a fortuitous point in time. I'm an adult 18 when the internet happens so You know those years when you're usually most passionate about something, you know, the Beatles were doing music I was playing with the internet, right? So I just happened to really care about this new technology, which uh, Meant that I played with it. So if there was something new that came along I played with it You know Skype happened. I was like, oh my god, I can talk to someone like I remember doing those first Skype calls, it was just huge. Uh, then uh, with podcasting, that was like I had a, a little microphone on my. I had not an iPod. I had an iRiver, which was very similar to an iPod. It was a portable hard drive which you could stick, you know, sixty. I don't know what it is, some huge amount of music on that was brand new. But the difference with my my device was there was little black dot on it, which you could hit a record button and record your voice. And I just got curious to use that. And I clicked record and started talking to the Internet. You know, I just started talking about business because I love business. And then I up- uploaded this episode. In fact, if you go to my podcast and listen to the first, I don't know, five or six episodes, it's all solo, just me rambling on for 15 minutes about some random business topic. And it wasn't until I had, uh, I think my, my first guest was Will Swain, uh, a marketer down in, in Brisbane. And we had that Skype call. And that was the sort of dawn of the interview format, which I found out was probably a better format for, for podcasts. So... You know, that was, again, an interest, something that I, I was excited about playing with. Um, I was I was driven by, you know, building a, a business and making money, too. So, you know, it, it helps to be on the curve. I was looking at these other startups that were doing things. I mean, even today, I still find it really compelling. The, the, the challenge really now versus then is the that what's new today is so much more complicated for the everyday person to get involved with. Like if you want to get into AI right now, you really got to be a, a, a high level programmer type mm-hmm. person. You know, if you want to get into say, like I'm really interested in um, the new industry of um, meat alternatives to meat that are coming along. Cause I'm a, i am like meat, but I don't like killing animals. So it's been a constant sort of moral <laughs> battle personally to deal with. So if there were some great meat alternatives, which they finally are starting to become some, But that's an industry, you know. You can't just t- turn on your computer and calculate a meat alternative or build a robot, you know, by yourself. Maybe a few people can do that if they're chemists or, you know, amazing programmers, but back then I could do a podcast or I could start a blog or I could start an essay editing company or an online store selling cards as an individual living at home, like I had I lived in a, a caravan parked out the back of my mother's house for a good <laughs> good bunch of years. I read that, you know? yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I could run a business from that situation, you know. So um, eventually, I, I got my own room in the house. But you know, I could, uh, and I did. I remember I had the computer next to my bedroom, and I would wake up and check how many. You know, first it was, were there any card game orders? Next, it was, was there any editing orders? You know, as each business came along, and then eventually it became, uh, have I sold a course or an, or an ebook from my my blogging business? So, I don't know. I still love it, and I think it's one of the best ways to potentially you see business opportunities that you might not, you know, otherwise find and certainly and I really believe this the more I study successful entrepreneurs and successful people the element of timing is absolutely mandatory. You cannot have a whatever big success either, you know, whether it's becoming a president or starting a Facebook it, there's an element of the world is turning a certain way when you start to do what you do that magnifies what you're doing. You know, the, it's just right, and that's what makes it big. So, uh, certainly in my projects, especially with my blog business and my podcast, the world was turning and social media was starting. You know, I didn't really do the YouTube or. The Facebook ride, or you know whatever we've had since then, to the degree I did blogging and podcasting, that I wrote that at the beginning, just as you saw our contemporaries with podcasting in sort of 2011, it just took off, and suddenly Lewis House is on The Ellen show, right? Mm-hmm. you know like he's a podcaster who's gone to mainstream, so and plus all the other countless podcasts there are now so you know yeah the opportunities are there it's whether you choose to look out for them and i think it really helps if you're interested in looking out for them in the first place and i guess that's something i've always been i'm interested in technology so i I keep an eye out on it
0: what are some um technologies today that you're tinkering in and interesting interested in
1: well i have a a new business starting with a co-founder this is a bit of a I guess a jump forward in my timeline but you know it's actually not because I spent the next 10 years growing my blogging business and I really did the same thing you know I created courses and ebooks and so on and I've been traveling the world and but um, just last year I visited my father's birthland of Ukraine for the first time and that was really a great trip and I spent actually I I made Lviv uh, Ukraine my my hometown for a number of months while I kind of visited other parts of Europe but I kept coming back there and as a result of spending some time there, I ended up getting, uh, met a friend, and there was, a, again, timing, a unique set of circumstances in Ukraine to start a solar energy business, which is something I never in my wildest dreams would thought I'd get into, because it's physical, it's the technology I don't really understand, I mean, I understand the basics of it, um, I just happened to have some investment capital which is partially because i invested in some cryptocurrencies you know another timing situation last year just happened to be the year for crypto so i took that some of that money and and now i'm building a solar power plant um, in ukraine to take advantage of some opportunities there with uh, local government tariffs that they're trying to encourage the green energy market so you know that's that's a I, I love that because it's helping my father's country it's it's helping the planet with green energy and it's actually kind of like building um, the the closest thing I think I've ever seen to a passive income stream you put up you know <laughs> solar panels the sun shines and money is made you can't get more <laughs> passive than that right so it's just another part of my my uniquely growing portfolio in in some different ways but I, I love that and I actually um, you know the, if, if, as long as I keep having money to play with, which never you know the more you spend it, the less you've got as long as you're making it from somewhere else though uh, but if there are opportunities like that, I, I really find that more interesting. It's probably more a case of just uh, you know I've spent so long being in information technology and, and teaching, I'm just a little more interested in yeah oh a solar energy project cool you know if, if a cool um, alternative meat project came along that I can get involved with that I agreed with and had some spare capital, I'd jump on that, you know. Um, but yeah, that's it. And then, of course, my current business that I'm personally heavily involved with is uh, a, an email um, outsourcing service. So that's kind of more traditional as well. I wouldn't call that cutting edge. In fact, it's almost really weird. It's like dealing with the oldest online technology there is, which is email. So I think it's really an uh, what I love about entrepreneurship is if there is a problem, that's what makes the basis for a business it doesn't have to be the latest uh ai it could be simply something simple like you notice people are struggling with you know email it's it's taking too much of their time business idea or it could be something as simple as like you know um students were struggling to to write in english and boom business idea editing company you know so it's just being open to those sorts of things so i guess the answer to your question is I'm in solar and I have no idea what's coming next but I'm <laughs> open to it.
0: <laughs> what do you do you think there's any technology out there um, regarding the lap laptop lifestyle that is 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 underserved or any 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 great ideas for some sort of technology or market or problems that we have with the lap laptops lifestyle these days? that somebody could create a business around or some sort of technology that could really serve the future of this lifestyle.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's an interesting question. So, the laptop lifestyle or any, you know, digital nomad remote work, I think the basic idea is obviously creating technology or tools with technology that allow people to do things remotely and we've seen so many of them come up we're using one right now to record this podcast we're using what would be i guess you call an old one now with skype but there's obviously webinar platforms now for for streaming and recording video and having meetings um then of course you've got maybe I guess you might call this a non-digital maybe an analog solution where you've got those co-working spaces and even those co-working travel options. I think you might have seen them on on ads where mm-hmm. you can join for like a yearly $30,000 fee and you get accommodation in in four different co-working homes for a year and, and live with other entrepreneurs. And, and that's a lifestyle, you know, it's like uh, the done for you digital nomadism kind of thing for entrepreneurs. So that's another interesting idea. I think WeWork being another good example. It's kind of, mm-hmm. you know, allowing people to be, have an office remotely. So you can see those things pop up and it's it's often just a translation of what used to be and still is a need in a company or a need in an entrepreneur um, that can be turned Global or digital or both, really, right? Sometimes it's digital because it's like a webinar platform. Sometimes it's global because you can get a co-working membership to WeWork and use WeWorks all over the planet, right? Even though it's a physical thing. Mm-hmm. So what what I think is important is to first of all get close to the target audience. Like you don't spot these opportunities unless you really have this affinity for the group of people who have that need. So, uh, you know, if you are looking to service the laptop lifestyle, the digital nomad type community, go be one, go spend time with them, you know, go to these co-working spaces, go to these meetups, follow them online and, you know, maybe interview them on a podcast like we're doing now because someone will say something like, um, I wish there was a way I could do this with uh, my live streams, you know, can I, I wish there was a way on my Facebook live I could directly sell my product um, using cryptocurrency, Mm -hmm. you know, and then that way I could monetize my live streams globally without being attached to a PayPal or, you know, a credit card company or whatever. So those kind of opportunities, I think, are are everywhere. I I personally um, think this is a great time to test lean these ideas, like the MVP, which if you sort of study the startup world with the lean startup, um, Eric Reese's core concept, and do MVPs, so minimal viable products and you can often test them in fact my last company the, the Email outsourcing service that I'm running at the moment That was done with what, what I call a minimal viable service. I mean it is an MVP, but it's it's a service So what we do to test the service is you do it completely manually you just do it yourself You deliver the service human to human and see whether it's useful, you know, like so let's take for example something really simple like um, you want to create a way to um, easily deliver video content or something like that and yes you could go and build a whole video platform or you could get one client they can deliver the raw media and you just plug away behind the scenes on ScreenFlow or Camtasia or iMovie or whatever give them the output and then they they tell you whether it's good or not and, and what do they like and what do they don't like? And then you sort of iterate until you've met that need. And then you can go, all right, let's bring on other people to do the service. Or let's build software, you know, build a platform to do it as well, you know, once you've validated the idea. So I think that's really important uh, for, for entrepreneurs to do first. We did it with my outsourcing for email company. We, we got a client and a second client. And we said, let's handle your email for you. Does it work? Are they happy with the service? Um, can we make a profit running this business? What are the hard parts? The easy parts? Okay, it's working. Let's launch it and go get more clients. That's basically what we just did. Um, same thing I do with my editing company. You know, let's. I went and found my first uh, cu- customer, and then found the contractor to deliver the service. It actually wasn't editing; it was a translation job because I. I mean, I kind of didn't mention this in the earlier part of the story, but my editing company also offered language translation uh, as a service because I saw there were contractors available to do all these tasks. So I just put a website up and said, "We do language translation. We do business editing. We do essay editing," and then went and found contractors for the jobs as they came in. Very, very much an MVP model. But, you know, very much kind of living on on the edge because you had to go find. Service providers as soon as you got customers, but it was great, and that's what I recommend. Uh, you know, people do when they get started. Now,
0: you know, I've been studying recently um, more and more the importance and like the science of being a good networker. And um, throughout your career, you've connected with some amazing entrepreneurs, and the list. You know, we could just you know list tons of them, even on your podcast. I'm curious, through throughout your time as an entrepreneur, um, what what has been the most important lessons you have learned in networking and then keeping and maintaining those relationships over long term. Hey guys, we're going to wrap up the second part of Yaro's interview there and be sure to subscribe and listen to catch the next part of Yaro's interview when we talk about the best networking hack ever, the difference between a five, six, and seven figure entrepreneurial mentalities, creating a bulletproof positive mentality and achieving email freedom. Thanks for joining and we'll see you soon. Hey listeners, thanks for joining us once again. We wanted to remind you about our high performance productivity coaching and our annual get shit done live retreat in Thailand. Both are designed for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs to get a lot of work done rapidly. And whether you need some personal coaching while working away at home or a retreat in Thailand where you can get out of your normal routine and surround yourself with other successful entrepreneurs, we have those options for you. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com and we'll see you on the next podcast.